I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Footy Prime presents Weekend Wrap, the Halloween edition, with bloody Brendan Dunlop and the crypt keeper himself, Craig Forrest. This week, it's getting scary at Spurs for Nuno's Holy Spirit. Like Craig, West Ham swings a big hammer. And who would want to manage Barcelona in this mess? For the rest of the Footy Prime gang, and of course myself, Nigel Nigelson, let's get this Halloween party Started! Another sheriff! I've lost my spectacles. Well, how's that for a weekend to end a month? Welcome to Footy Prime. I'm Brendan Dunlop, joined by Craig Forrest, who will be my partner in crime. Every weekend, we're told the others will join us, Craig, but what are the odds? Probably as good as Nuno, the Spirito Santo, keeping his job, I would say. Well, we don't tell them, do we? <laughs> <laughs> we it's, keep this one quiet. It's funner without them. Yes. Right? We get to more serious conversations. I mean, I think we did 50 minutes and we, we didn't talk about dicks or you know any random shit that Wonga brings up <laughs> on the last show. So pretty, That's true. Pretty fair, right? Pretty fair. Yeah, yeah. What did you think of the weekend, man? Was it easy to balance? Uh, I looked at the fixture list and I thought, wait a second, like what TV executive decided this, that Chelsea, Liverpool, and City would all play in the 10 a.m. slot on Saturday? That's a rarity we don't get. Crazy. I tell you what, though, it was a nice uh, trip back for Chelsea from Newcastle after that weekend for them because everything worked out really well for them. Yeah, did it ever. Yeah. Uh, everyone's attention was on the later game on Saturday, though, right? The battle of the managers looking to keep their jobs. Nuno Espirito Santo up against Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, uh, both of which I think felt like they were dead men walking, perhaps. And uh, one team looked really dead, and the other team <laughs> looked like the, the team you would expect. Manchester United played to played to their level, looked like they put the embarrassment of Liverpool right behind them, and went out and embarrassed Tottenham in their own ground. Yeah, that was a, that was a really impressive display. Really impressive. Ronaldo with that finish, that first goal, man, a different class different class arlo white called it a worldie and i gotta be honest when i saw the tweet i went back to watch it because it was like yeah it was a nice goal it wasn't really a worldie or it's just the moment he had another goal uh called offside shortly shortly after that i think it was or was it after cavani that was probably equal to it equally as impressive yeah it wasn't a worldie it was just ronaldo the you know just the ball, the technique makes it look magical. It really does. So the United look great. They good bounce back. Hopefully they can, they just got to sustain that. And then you look at Spurs and they were uh, chanting, you don't know what you're doing to Nuno uh, in the first half. I think it was already. So he's under enormous amounts of pressure already. And I feel for him because it's a tough situation for him. I think uh, at that club anyway, for any manager. And coming in the way that he did, like, as we said in the last show, wasn't their first choice. Comes in knowing that Harry Kane wants out, is looked likely to leave. I think everyone kind of expected that Harry would go, and they didn't sell him. Harry recommitted to the project, but did you see him on the pitch in that game? Hmm. He seemed pretty invisible. Yeah, very invisible. As he has for most of the season, right? And I think if you want to put it down to one 
thing, although that isn't fair. If you put it down to two and a half things, the one and a half is Harry Kane's absence and not being the player that he was. And that's an easy way to explain why they've they've lost five of the first 10 and they sit in eighth in this stretch in which, uh, as we're recording the show, Nuno Espirito Santo still has a job. But the, by the time you listen, this uh, early part of our episode may be irrelevant because Fabrizio Romano may have tweeted that he's already Tottenham don't want to spend any more money offloading managers either, right? I know. Yeah. They've been probably the most vocal about how the pandemic has really affected their business operations, mm. which seems on brand for Daniel Levy, just based on how he operated when things were good. Yeah. I don't think that they, the backroom staff is in a position right now to think that they're going to be challenging for Champions League spots. They're more worried about balancing the books. And they, and I get it. There's a yeah massive bill uh, to pay for that stadium. It's a fantastic facility, but the first year was empty. And yeah, it must have uh, stung a lot to Spurs. Mm-hmm. I think, though, hearing the fans boo the way they did, they were booing him at halftime. They booed when uh, he brought Bergwijn on for, for Lucas Mora, booed it full-time again, and then post-game he admitted that they're not on the right track. Nuno out was trending on Twitter last night. Uh, most of the tweets, though, are from days ago, which I found hilarious. So when I pulled it up, I was expecting you know, recent tweets from the evening. So I, I figured a lot of you know liquid-fueled uh, tweets would be there. No, all the top ones were from, from days ago. And uh, the standout one for me was this guy tweeted, I want to know what I did to deserve this terrorism. Some lifelong Spurs fan just suffering, watching Nuno destroy his club <laughs> conservatively with his boring style. That's the criticism that I find funny is how people are like, oh, Spurs, God. Yeah, they've won half their games, but they're so boring. <laughs> oh, I know. And to be a manager, you know, I mean, he did so well, Nuno, at Wolves, you know. Yeah. So well that he... He's a good manager. Yeah, of course. Most of them are good managers, but you live <laughs> and die by your results. Yeah. And 10 games in, no one expected him to struggle. As we said on paper, you know, this is still a good team, a team that should be competitive. But when they've come up against other teams that are amongst the same class as them or or with the same goals, um, they get outclassed like they did by by United, who, who, you know, just the week before were absolutely embarrassed and torn to shreds by the first real team that they played. And I, I don't think that Tottenham this season are in that category of, you know, a real competitive side. No, they'll finish seventh or eighth. Spurs will finish eighth. Yeah. 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 I think that's probably fair. And I think if you told them that now, they'd probably take that. <laughs> right? <laughs> seventh or eighth with the chance of, of, of knocking on Europe, maybe. Um, you know, get back in that conference league. <laughs> God. Conference league. <laughs> what does he think of Ollie's starting 11? I, I worried for him when I saw Cavani and Ronaldo. In the uh, starting eleven, he'd said pre-match too that you know they were going to go for experience. They they wanted some veterans in the side, and uh, and then the eleven comes out, and he's got seventy years of combined experience on the pitch with his two forwards. Yeah, you know people talk about combinations and whether players can play with each other, but is there a player in the world that Ronaldo can't play with? You know, unless they don't like each other, that is, and they don't want to pass it to each other. But it's like. Cavani is a intelligent player. Ronaldo, incredible. Can't tell me that those two can't figure it out. I think, you know, with Cavani, certainly last season, you had a player that had a lot of energy, but was conservative in how he used it. And Ronaldo is very meticulous and conservative with how he expels his his energy. So a pressing style that we've Mm -hmm. seen be successful uh, when... United have employed it with Rashford and Greenwood and Lingard. You can't play that when you have Ronaldo up front as the lone front man or on the left side of a front three. So when you just have, you're playing a 4-4-2 and it's the two of them up top, then they're not really pressing at all. Mm -hmm. But against Spurs, you know, it was a, it was a very good assumption by Ollie's part that uh, he didn't need to press them in order to be able to open them up. And he was able to use both of those aging front men and got them both on the score sheet. So win-win, right? Win-win. Great, great weekend for them. You notice all the away, the away results. There's only one home win this weekend. Oh, wow. Seven away wins and one draw. How surprising is that? Yeah. Well, remember last year, there was actually more away wins than home wins, but the stadiums were empty. So, you know, that made so, so much sense. But there's already this year, uh, slightly more 
away wins than uh, home wins as well. It's still wild, a bit wild to me to see them fall again and to think where we were in July when the Euro final was at Wembley and the thought of going to 50% capacity was like, oh, that could be a little risky, you know? Basically, I, th- I think it was from week one, every Premier League ground was, was full, right? At the end of August, yeah. anyway, come a long way. They're just more worried about their internationals and where they fly to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which they'll have to worry about again soon, right? I feel like these uh, these international breaks have, have come real thick and fast. But for us in uh, in watching Canada, a bit more exciting than in years past when an international break comes and ruins the club momentum. Yeah. Uh, last bit on Ronaldo. I love how Ronaldo's been handling his social media. I know you're a big fan of the Footy Prime social media account, but Ronaldo's IG strategy is great. He posts the five best professional like Getty photos that are taken during the match, and the caption was, this is Man United. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> this is Man United, the team that throttles <laughs> sides like Spurs 3-0. <laughs> Ollie said uh, during the week, or he said afterwards, but in regards to the week that I've been here three years now and Tuesday's training performance from Edison Cavani was probably the best performance anybody has ever put into a training session here. The Ronaldo effect, huh? Rubbing off on, on uh, the younger guys is what we expected, but no, it's Edison Cavani proving his worth and maybe all he's going to roll out the two of them in the Champions League midweek. Well, I mean, if you're Cavani and you're the footballer that he is, uh, playing with Ronaldo and the opportunity to play with him, who wouldn't relish that? Been thriving in it with the opportunities that, he, that he's had. As of Chelsea, talk about beautiful football and thriving. Um, a 3-0 win up at Newcastle. Mm. Three Chelsea goals in 16 minutes. The game wasn't really that wide open, though. Do you think? No. The scoreline flattered Chelsea. They were absolutely the better side and took advantage of the opportunities. But it did yeah. feel like Newcastle were sort of in it. Yeah, it did. I thought so. But Chelsea's class is just, you know, you can just see it's just a, a step above. And that result was pretty predictable although yeah we could have said that about uh man city crystal palace this weekend i thought that would have been a pretty predictable result which it wasn't and palace and Vieira, fantastic performance by his team i thought they were well deserving of it yeah palace man to spoil pep's 200th premier league uh, game in charge pretty special and uh zaha was 50th premier league goal he's dynamite I can't believe he stayed at that club as long as he has, to be honest. Well, I think when he tried to make the step up, he didn't fit in, right? Yeah. But yeah. to go to go That's back true. and thrive, you're right. I mean, hell of a player. The talent is absolutely undeniable, but God, they're lucky to have him. I don't know where Palace would be if Wilfred Zaha had left for a mid-big range club. You know, they're brave too. I mean, he's he made uh, some good substitutions late, actually looking for the late goal, you know, away to Man City. If you're a player, that sends a message right away too. You know, hey, this manager, I mean, he was a winner and he's going to play uh, in a positive manner. So I think the players are fed off that. That late goal too, the boy Gallagher, uh, the insurance marker, he's on loan from Chelsea. So doing uh, doing the club that owns him a, a real favor. They'd be pretty happy with that performance. Yeah, that's the whole idea of owning all these players and putting them on loan. They can't play against you. <laughs> but they can uh, help you get beneficial results. That's right. It's not, not, there's something doesn't smell right about that whole thing. But. That, that game was a, it was a weird one, though. They were down to 10 men. Laporte got that red card for taking down Zaha uh, on a clear-cut scoring opportunity, which was a, a theme of the weekend. Yeah. But Palace could have had a 2 nothing lead in the first half. Yeah. I thought they were totally going to regret not having capitalized on their chances. Gabby Jesus scored, and then they... Uh, did a VAR check, which made it feel like it was 2018. That's the longest VAR check I felt like we've had in a while, right? They're, you, they've they been pretty quick with them. Yeah, for the most part. Less than a minute, 90 seconds, but that took forever, and they ruled that Foden was, was called offside. You just expect City to still be in it, and until Gallagher scored, I thought it was still City's game to win. Yeah, because they've done it so often. Right. But good on Palace. Yeah, great on Palace, good on the, good on the league. And speaking of uh, somebody who looked comfortable, Liverpool, 2-0 up, go 3-0 up, Sané. Yeah. Right, rightly called it, came off his arm. I thought that was the right decision. Yep. But there was no worry at that point. It was like the third's coming soon, the fourth and the fifth. Looked like it was inevitable. And, oh, wow, what a turnaround. And what a fight back. Like, 
fantastic, really. Liverpool were lucky not to lose it, right? Yes. Yeah, Trossard had that goal called offside. Uh, the pass, yeah. the pass from Lamptey was world class. Yeah, he had a game. Yes, Lamptey. Yes, and uh, I, I saw that play opening up, and and you could see Lamptey was thinking about it and like, do it, do it, and he just he waited it perfectly. Uh, Trossard just just got it wrong. Too bad. Yeah, I love how that game swayed back and forth, though. I mean, like Brighton, they really very much looked like a top five side. Yeah, like I think some of the lower teams, you know, back 10, 20 years ago, they they weren't as brave as they are now. I think they they figured that they can they can play. Uh-huh. You have to be able to possess the ball. You have to be able to play your way out of the back for the most part. And the standards really really high throughout the league. And I, and I think the uh, the the standard of play and the actual football we're seeing is some of it just really is quite spectacular. Talk about all these goals being called back, but as you said, you know, the, it was the right call on, on Sané. Uh, Sanchez was under real pressure there. Mm-hmm. I always feel bad for goalkeepers in that situation. I'm sure you <laughs> you must, right? Yeah. To see, you know, Mane, and I forget who the other one was, just on top of him. Was it Henderson that was up that high? You know, Sanchez catching some luck that it went off of Mane's arm and, and was called back. But the officiating, including the, the long-winded VAR that we saw in the City game, the, the officiating was pretty good this weekend yeah i think they've got a the hang of the bar they've got a hang of uh, letting them uh still play a game that's physical because it is a contact sport still to a certain level and uh i think they've allowed that and just because there's contact in the box doesn't necessarily mean it's a penalty last year they're giving penalties for just the slightest little touch players drop we haven't seen that so i think they've really got to grips with it where they're just like, hey, it's not really clear and obvious, not going to get involved unless it's a, is it an offside or something that might take some length of time to look at. But they want to get it right. And for the most part, they've uh, improved immensely. Yeah, they have. It seemed pretty clear and obvious to me that Allison lost that ball in the sun, that Mwepu goal to made it 2-1. That mm-hmm. was a perfect dipping shot. Yeah, it, it was. But, you know, it was at first I thought because it's right above him. You see the slow motion, the replay, it was coming down really quite steeply. And then it just catches the underside of the bar. So even if you're three yards off and you strike a ball like that, he knows he's in trouble because of the space behind him. And only because of the dip is going to cause the trouble uh, for him. So I don't think it was, I don't think he missed it. I think it was just perfectly placed. How difficult is it though when you're playing on a pitch where the sun moves like that and you 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 as a goalkeeper are watching the play mm-hmm. um originate in a shaded area when you are in the sunny area and when it comes quickly like that how difficult is it for your eyes to adjust mm, that it it is an issue and actually I played at Anfield in the afternoon uh when the sun has been released straight in your eyes too and there's the debate of, you know, do you wear a cap or don't you wear a cap or, you know, watching a goalkeeper struggle with the sun in his eyes without a cap on, why doesn't he put a cap on? Well, the part of the problem is, is that you, you adjust with a cap on blocking out the sun You're watching the game develop in front. And then all of a sudden that ball goes up into the air and you're, you're learning now all of a sudden surprise. So your eyes aren't even ready for it at all so as soon as you're going up for a high ball and the sun hits you it's a it's a surprise so sometimes it's i kind of tossed and turned really about whether or not i mean i did wear a cap sometimes and other times i didn't because of that reason huh fair was it the 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 ground ever play a factor were there certain stadiums where you knew that hey the sun was going to move quick it wasn't worth it or the way the sun hits off of the roof or the stands with some grounds Mm -hmm. that favored wearing the cap more than others yeah yeah some of them some of them too like the the one of the biggest factors outside of the sun or the is the actual floodlights themselves and where they're situated uh, if they're most of them are in the corners and if they're high enough that's never really going to be an issue some of them are lower but then some grounds will have lights all the way along the uh the whole length of one side maybe two sides of the stadium so then that really comes into play even a lower trajectory cross coming in that you're coming for is going to be in the lights, whether you like it or not. Coventry's a really bad ground for that. Remember that? Oh yeah, interesting. Yeah, 
<laughs> Chelsea, three goals in 16 minutes. That game reminded me quite a bit of Benfica's loss to Bayern in the Champions League on match day three, where the teams look close. You, obviously, the more talented team, you felt like they could turn it on. And when they did, like they're just unstoppable. And we talked about it briefly, how talented they are. They are able to put on these offensive performances and control things offensively without Lukaku and Werner. And guys who had been heavily criticized like Kai Havertz and uh, Ziyech, maybe not criticized, but I don't think we really saw enough of him last season to know what he could do at this level. Um, yeah, they look like European champions. Mm-hmm. They, they look like they can do it at this level. Yeah, they really do. They really do. And you know, looking back when Lampard was my old teammate was in charge, he was fighting to try and find a way with his best 11, how to play, struggling. Then they bring in Ducal and, and you know, good managers can make a change, but the change was incredible from day one. Mm-hmm. Day one. I mean, right through, they couldn't score goals, but they didn't give up any. Uh, that was their issue. They go on to win the Champions League and they bring in Lukaku right at the right time and the man that they needed, at the, you know, and the, the balance is just right and the confidence is running high. And right now they have to be, they have to be favorites. And they're looking like it. Top of the table. I mean, you kind of feel as though City and Liverpool are the teams that are going to take you know points off of each other. I think that mm-hmm. you know Chelsea are capable of dropping points against a, a couple of big opponents too. Um, they still have a, a couple big fixtures that we'll be excited for when they come around. But yeah, and you know Chelsea is going to drop a game that you don't expect. Everybody does. It's going to happen. But they just have so many pieces, too, and so many pieces that have played better since Tuchel's arrived and uh, have really grown into themselves, like Reese James, yeah. who broke the oh. deadlock with uh, – that was a striker's goal. His first goal off his left foot, and then the next one, 10, 12 minutes later, off of his right foot. Yeah, deflection fell kindly for him, but he, he smashed that volley. What a player. I, I like Reese James a lot. Great technique. The penalty. Uh, Darlow comes out and takes down Havertz. It's, it seemed a bit of a, a wild challenge, don't you think? Dove out there with his with his right foot. Like As a goalkeeper, that call's never going to go favorably towards you. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's one of them. You, you, you've got to win it. You better win it. That's the thing, too. doesn't matter who it is. And if you decide to go to ground with your feet or you want to go to ground with your hands, if you're not near at the ball, uh, you, you're you not intending to foul. And But the defender or the attacker knows that all he has to do is push it wide. Your momentum is going to take you into him. You could The striker could easily avoid you, but they drag their feet right through it. And they give a penalty every single time. So you, you got to get. It, so you got to get it right. It, it was smart from Havertz. When I first saw it, actually, I I thought that he was like leaning into the tackle, leaning into the challenge. But then the the one low camera angle from from behind the byline, and you can see, no, nah, he was he was going right through him. He was taking out his feet. Yeah, yeah. And Jorginho to go straight down the middle like that, pure confidence mm-hmm. from. Uh, a Ballon d'Or candidate that I think will get a few votes and certainly will get a few fan fan votes. Arsenal 2-0 winners at Leicester. Big money Aaron Ramsdale, buddy. The goalkeeper conversations continue. He played, he's playing out of his skin just to find that price tag. He plays like he's proven a point every single game. Like, doesn't settle for one good one. It's next one, okay, next game's up. He knows there's a lot of doubters out there and there was a big price tag for him and kind of like, whoa, where did this come from? But he has not let them down at all, at all. Seemed a really good guy too. I've uh, texted with him about uh, a few years back, but yeah, all the best to him. And they've been playing really well, which is great too. Good timing that the team's improvement uh, is also there as well. And they're playing with a, you know, a smile on their face and now all of a sudden Arteta's pressure's off him. For now, wild, wild, right? He named the same team that thrashed Villa, the same starting eleven. It was Saka's one hundredth appearance. Can you believe that? Wow, one hundred appearances already for Arsenal, and he's a you know an England staple. Yeah, Smith Rowe's goal. They call him the Croydon De Bruyne, which I heard in the broadcast for the first time. I thought was amazing. Uh, he hit he hit that ball perfectly uh, <laughs> past Schmeichel's left. Right? He caught him leaning the wrong way and just timed that brilliantly. I was surprised Michael didn't know it was going that way, though, to be honest with you. Yeah. Not that he was sop it, but I just thought it was fairly obvious. 
with the defenders and who was in front of him, where they were situated, the way he was approaching the ball. I thought that, that he would have known it was going there. It was a strange game for Lester overall, though, right? So I think he was just reflective of kind of that in the moment for me. I mean, they really lacked fluidity. They gave the ball away a lot. You know, they, every time they looked to break and looked like they had a great opportunity, you know, some poor pass. Vardy and Madison had a, a sloppy exchange there. Arsenal went the other way uh, that ahead of the Smith-Rowe goal to, to double their lead. Mm-hmm. So Brendan Rodgers under some pressure now? Is he feeling the heat? No. No? There's some no. There's some suggestion. Uh, oh, there's always a suggestion. You lose a couple games, and <laughs> <laughs> I, I was surprised to see some tweets suggesting that Spurs and United might have a new candidate to consider. If by the time Ollie or oh, Nuno get I could fired, see, I could, there's a better chance of him being poached by somebody than him being fired. Yeah. I could see that potentially. Timing is everything. It is, and and I think you know Leicester are just in a in a bit of a, a rut, um, but again they're going up against good competition, right? Arsenal are not the team that they were in August, not even close. Like what a, what a story! Arteta could be you know manager of the year at this point in, in the standings. <laughs> he could be could be leading the charge there, right? Yeah, the football world isn't it nuts? Like a couple of weeks ago, it, everybody wanted him on a stick, and then you know he's a hero and. It just swings and back and forth. Nuno was loved at Wolves. Now he's hated at Spurs. <laughs> just goes on and on. And then you look at Norwich, you oh. know, their, their manager there. He's sort of survived the, uh, the yo-yo of going up and down the Premier League. I got to tell you, watching them against Leeds, uh, it could have gone either way. Um, they lose again. Uh, they got two points from 10 games. If you're a player there, Okay, it's one thing to get relegated, and it's another thing when you're breaking records and you're looking to go like, "Oh my God, we got 28 games left. Oh, we haven't won one yet." You know how bad was Derby? Yeah, I know. We, we, <laughs> yeah, we went through it, but yeah, you're right. Being a part of yeah, they the were bad historically embarrassed team is uh, it, it's got to be difficult knowing that. Yeah, at the end of October, you really don't have a chance. Whereas Leeds pulled themselves out of the bottom three with that win at Carroll Road. A bit surprising, yeah. eh? That that's the conversation we're having with Leeds now at this point in the season. We're yeah. waiting for them maybe to show the form of last year and, and claw their way back to, to mid-table where you would at least expect them to be. Yeah, they've, they, they've had some injuries. Yeah. They're missing some key players. But you still don't see that. You know, when they, they got in the Premier League, you don't still see that. The energy was just... It was everywhere. They were conceding. They were scoring. They were pressing. They were doing it. It was, it was Bielsa and, and his way of playing. And it puts a lot of pressure and very taxing fit physically. But right. I haven't seen that intensity from them this year. The honeymoon for Claudio Ranieri is over at Watford, I think. Watford are who we thought they were, losing 1-0 uh, at home to the Saints. Well, that's it. Usually, again, like to talk about Tuchel, they amazing difference uh, taking over from Lampard, but generally speaking, the changing of managers, we see it happen all the time. And for the most part, you, uh, you may see a new manager bump, um, but depending on what your players are, where they were before you usually settle right back into, into that same sort of level. You could say that about Mourinho and Spurs and Nuno. Is it the same? Kind of. Well, he inherited kind of the same team, right? That, Mourinho struggled with struggled to get to play to their potential and and if Mourinho can't do it yeah but Mourinho loses a room I think we're surprised to look at Nuno and and see how he inherited that same group of players in that same situation and tactically his reaction was to be more conservative and it's not worked and you're dealing with having Harry Kane, who was an automatic goal machine up front, mm-hmm. not be interested in being a part of the project. And now you can't score your way out of problems, which is what Mourinho has always been able to put himself in that position. He's always you know, played for the result and at times has often fielded the most boring, least entertaining sides out there, right? That was huge criticism at Real Madrid. How come you're not wowing for 90 minutes? We want to be entertained. He just wanted he wanted the results, but he always had a player that could score their way out of any yeah. problems. And Spurs don't have that. Yeah, and winning 
doesn't matter if you're going to play a boring style. If you're winning, it's acceptable. When he was doing it at Chelsea, winning 1-0, it was acceptable. Yeah. I love that I got to all these other games and you haven't alluded to the fact that I've avoided Aston Villa 1, West Ham 4. <laughs> I uh, Unlike Sharman, I do keep a rundown and I'll, I'll have you know that that was supposed to come up after City as our fifth game. It wasn't supposed to be the last one of the Premier League weekend, but might as well acknowledge it. Uh, surprising to see West Ham put four goals on uh, the score sheet and Mikel Antonio not have one of them. That's right. That's right. And away from home. They're so good away from home. They are good away from home. Those away days that those Hammers have enjoyed. Yeah. Um, been a few big ones this season, eh? Yeah. They have uh, a good side that is perfect for away, away football. And they're buzzing. I mean, they're absolutely buzzing right now. I, you know, after last year, and they, you know, they get into the Europa League and, and it was exciting and best season since the late 90s, I suppose. And they've just gone on from strength to strength. Actually got better and consistently. And Moyes is showing us we're looking like that, you know, the manager that he was at Everton for years, years and years. He was always had a team that was competitive and strong and punched above their weight. And now he's got this West Ham side. And I mean, Declan Rice is just a monster. The kid is, they're so lucky to have him. I don't know how long they're going to be able to keep a hold of him because somebody's going to be able to pay pay him three times uh, what he's making at West Ham, right? So it's great to have him at the moment. Oh, for um, sure. And it just shows you when you have somebody, a few really top quality players where it can help and take you, but it's, it costs you money to keep them or get them. It's great to see it click for them now. And you mentioned this start that they're off to. Six wins from 10. It's their best top flight start that they've ever had. And here we are at the very beginning of November. They're level on points with Man City Mm -hmm. in fourth place in the Premier League. Yeah. You don't hear too much of the gold Sullivan Brady out as much. No. As we we, we did a year and a half ago. We haven't been hearing that. But did you see this Czech billionaire that's in for a major purchase? He's he's looking to buy a, uh, a, a large stake. I don't remember the percentage now, but... Quite a few bit of shares in West Ham. Hey, if you're West Ham right now, and those guys are business people, their stock is pretty high right now. The problem with West Ham is they don't own the stadium. Right. They don't own any real estate. That would be a big problem for them. But the brand, the brand is a, a strong brand. They are in London. That, that's that got to carry a lot of weight that would make up for the, the lack of property. Yeah. Right? They got a 100-year lease, I believe, on the on the Olympic Stadium. So. Is it 100 years? Hundred years, I believe, yeah, and really cheap. I think Karen Brady did an amazing job there with the mayor at the time, Boris, right, Johnson. <laughs> I remember they got that at a, at a big deal. I think Tottenham took them to court over that, suggesting that maybe there was some corruption, or I think uh, it came out that Tottenham had put together a package with a, a much bigger price point, and uh, and it wasn't even looked at, was never considered. So Yeah, and I think the actual city of London loses on the money that they, they don't give enough money to cover the cost of the stadium, and I think part of the deal is that policing is also covered by the city too. Uh, my, <laughs> it's a good deal. It's a, it's a sweet deal. <laughs> <laughs> Those fans, you know, home or away, like they're seeing a great team, as you say, and in watching them go up against Villa, I thought West Ham are at the level that Villa want to be at. You know, we always talk about, hey, Villa are a big club and they, they, with, with such importance and such meaning in England. The second city, Birmingham, it's for a reason. Right? Birmingham is a, a really big market. They've always been a, a big team. And for, you know, much, I think, of, of this era in the Premier League, consider them with Everton on, on uh, in terms of size and ambition. And you know, they flirted with Europe, but never really been able to stick there consistently. And both have had, you know, their mm-hmm. issues. Obviously, Villa went down, Everton haven't, but Villa went down and West Ham have gone down a couple of times right and to bounce back to be able to rely on young players and breed and grow these young players like Rice as you mentioned and uh, have a few pieces that come up with big games when you need them to Fabianski had a great fingertip save that he put off the bar and he's looked pretty good and solid uh, being in there mm-hmm. they were worried about him a little bit this year just because of his age but I was talking to you know Paul Pesca Salido former Canadian is married to Karen Brady and I, I I still think he's good for a couple of years. I don't think that the, that's an issue. He keeps himself fit, does now have injury problems, but obviously reactions and stuff like that, mistakes will start to come in. But I, th- I still think that uh, 
they they'll be looking to strengthen the goalkeeper position uh, eventually, but uh, he he's just fine for now. We've always said that goalkeeper is a position that it seems you know the the older you get, the the stronger you are. And there was a period there where the top ten guys were all thirty plus. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing it shift to be more of a young goalkeeper's game? I mean, even Jordan Pickford isn't isn't thirty yet. I don't think, and he's been no. in England number one for four seasons. Yeah, um, but guaranteed in three four years. When Pickford's in his 30s, early 30s, he will say that that would be when he was the most comfortable and at his very best. Right. There's no question that the when you get into your early 30s is uh, the prime for a goalkeeper. Joe Hart would argue otherwise. It wasn't his prime. <laughs> early 30s, and he was he was struggling to get a job at uh, Torino or West Ham. Yeah. I don't know what the deal was with him. Maybe he just played a lot of football and lost uh ambition he did play a lot of football i mean and he was you know he was chased out of city when pep showed up right was pep then they pep wanted to play from the back and brought in claudio bravo all this money and it it seemed hugely unfair you know hart hadn't done anything to to deserve it himself but was dealt the same fate as shea given man let me just go on a rant here from dean smith okay because i'm i'm starting to wonder about dean smith I like him. I, I back him. They shouldn't move. But I want to see what we saw from Dean Smith before, consistency and trust in your guys. And Villa have some very good central defenders. There's no debating who the number one is, and that's Tyrone Mings. You can debate who the number two is, but I do think most people agree it's Ezri Kanza. And last year, with four at the back, they were pretty damn solid. So I don't know why he keeps tinkering, playing three at the back, on this day, four at the back here, and and constantly trying to get other players into the squad. It's the lack of the consistency that has been the only consistent thing with this team this season. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. He's got to he's got to have to make a decision there to pick eleven and stick with them because if you're going to keep chopping and changing and you keep getting the same results, you you, you might need to have a group that's uh, going to grow into themselves. It's funny how Villa grew into that match, too, because mm-hmm. Bailey and Buendia are two incredibly talented players, haven't really had the chance to show what they can do. They've both been unlucky with injuries. Uh, maybe Buendia's got that weight of wearing the Grealish number 10 shirt. He came off after the sending off so they could adjust and put Mings on. It's rare that Mings doesn't start, I guess, so maybe in another day that would have been the case. Buendia did not look happy to be the one that was sacrificed, but when Mings came on, Villa looked a much better side and they were playing, you know, with a, more of an urgency and a competence that it seemed like they, they didn't have before. It's very, very rare that a team adjusts and plays better going down a man. Yeah. At two to one, it was, uh, it wasn't dead and buried at that point. No, you're right. It wasn't. But Fornals and, and Bowen put the dagger in and uh, showed the much better side that West Ham are. Beautiful goals, yeah. eh? Some terrific They football. really were. They really were beautiful goals. That last one they scored, I uh, thought it was one pass too many, or it was going to be. Yeah, I know what you mean. It looked like he was going to run out of room. Four nows, the third goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Game of tapping. But great vision. Too. But if he, if, if he doesn't score, the pass isn't perfect, and he's one-on-one with the keeper. <laughs> you got to be excited for West Ham this week, though. They got Genk on Thursday uh, before Liverpool on Sunday Yeah, in another headliner. Yeah. You know, I thought the clocks moved this week. I thought our clocks moved this Saturday night because they did in England, right? Well, they do it. Bef- they do it at different times than us, right? They do, but we usually do it like the Halloween weekend or my birthday weekend. The last weekend of October, we had been doing it in Canada. I know that now we've we've switched, and some sometimes we're off with England for like a month. Yeah, but uh, but I just saw the fixtures an hour later. The Villa West Ham was twelve thirty our time, and I thought. Oh yeah, we moved the clocks, and then I woke up this morning. And I couldn't figure out why my alarm clock and my phone were at the same time, and I realized, oh, they moved the clocks. We didn't move the clocks. All right, geez, you got me all confused there. I thought, did we? <laughs> your foot, your, these new devices, they do it all for you. You just, just you know, you yeah. just, oh, okay. I th- still showed up at our regularly scheduled recording time. On I thought Sunday. I might have lost an hour of sleep. Or gained in our... I can't figure it out. I, I'm just hoping I can get this up before <laughs> Nuno Espirito Santo loses his job 
And uh, yeah, let's take a, let's have a little look to see if he's really lost his job before we uh, sign off here. Uh, I just want to hit a couple of things on the continent first. Uh, it's a, a funny Liga story, but before that, a uh, bit serious, bit scary to see Sergio Aguero leave the pitch in Barcelona's game because he was having difficulty breathing. Spent the night in hospital. Uh, no update on his condition worsening. So I think that's got to be a positive in itself, right? Definitely people all over that. But um, obviously with Ericsson at the Euros and you know, Daly Blinn is someone who's had heart issues um, uh, recently as well. It's it's concerning to see a, a guy like Sergio Aguero, who, yes, getting uh, up there in age, but still very much a, a lethal contributor for his team and uh, hasn't had the opportunity to show it at Barcelona yet. That was his first start at Camp Nou and had to leave in the first half with uh, a scary difficulty breathing. Yeah, I think anybody playing for Barcelona is having a hard time breathing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair point, man. Fair <laughs> no. point. Uh, yeah, I know it's a scary thing for sure. Uh, looks like he's going to be okay and, uh, they'll have the best people look at him. So let's hope so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the news about Spurs at the moment, uh, apparently crisis talks, Daniel, uh, Levy is, was furious. Apparently. I wonder with the, the private conversations without the cameras that Daniel Levy would have had with Mourinho. I feel as though when Mourinho was there. Daniel Levy probably had a few moments where he would leave the room or in the room feel like a considerably smaller person, right? Which for someone of his ilk, uh, that probably doesn't happen too often in life, period. With Mourinho gone, do you feel as though now he's he's overcompensating for that period in which he felt like a small man? And so, <laughs> you know, looking up at Nuno who doesn't have the resume that Mourinho has. Now hey. Levy can go back to being the the now he's the the Jose inspired angry owner. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Mourinho is not the same person that we see in the media and the press. Um, I don't know him personally, but I know people. Nick Dazovich has uh, worked with him on coaching licenses. Where's a goalkeeper coach with him at Spurs? Uh, Portuguese background. He was in Toronto for a bit doing coaching clinics and things like that, living in a basement of a, of a friend of mine. And then next thing you know, he's, he played lower divisions in Portugal. And next thing you know, he's goalkeeper coach for Spurs under, uh, under the Mourinho. And they have a really good relationship by all accounts. But yeah, Mourinho is a, is a different guy off camera and away from the media. He's a very, very, thoughtful. I mean, Nick Dajovic tells a story about when they're at this coaching uh, camp and this, everybody had to put a session on. There's one particular person that was struggling and Mourinho sat up with him all night, putting his session together to make sure that he would pass, you know? So there's things about uh, individuals. We, we don't know who they really are. Or we just see them in the, in the media. You don't understand what they do. And uh, Ronaldo, another one, does incredible things and has done some things for uh, a family uh, uh, in Toronto that I know very well, um, all quietly behind the scenes um, and been con- was consistent with that. And uh, nobody knew about it. So there's a little, that's a, that's the sort of thing that impresses me about people when you hear about when the camera's off and the way they act and the way they treat people, that's really tells you a lot about somebody. I wonder if, Ronald Koeman feels a lot of relief that he can just go and have a, a normal dinner without his stomach being in knots now that he, he's not the worrying about his job at Barcelona. Now he knows for, for certain he's not the guy and he can move on and think ahead towards the next chapter in his life. Yeah, I think so. I think he'd be fairly happy to get off that um, because he'll get another job. He will. And, and I don't think this is going to tarnish it. Barcelona's in a mess right now anyway, and he's probably quite happy to get away from it, to be honest with you. He was doomed to start the season. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even before the messy thing. Yeah. I mean, he, he knew that he had to reinvent this team on the cheap. Um, he was able to bring in guys uh, at very affordable rates like Memphis Depay took a big pay cut to have the opportunity to, to pay at Barcelona. That's a, a player that a lot of teams would be very happy to have. I think Manchester United at that point in the transfer window would have been very happy to get him in, certainly uh, on that money. But mm-hmm. yeah, the way things have gone behind the scenes, like just a disaster. If you're and if you are someone without a connection to that club, you wouldn't be looking at that. You know, mm-hmm. a, a lot of the big name managers that you would normally link to a job like that, I can't imagine that they would want anything to do with it. 
that Barca have to go to someone who knows the club through and through and feels an obligation to perform for the club like a Xavi. Yeah, like a Xavi and, you know, and where the fans are going to understand and he's going to tell them that this is the situation we're in and we're going to have to build our way out of it, but we're not the Barcelona that we were. I mean, it's just not even close for now. No. Wait for some uh, other oil state to come in and buy them. (laughs) Yeah. uh, The uh, royal family of uh, the Sultan of Brunei. Well, how come he's not involved in the game? Yeah, he might as well jump in that. Well, you know what? Brunei, it's, they don't need any sport washing. They're kind of behind the scenes. <laughs> They're in their own world, off the grid out there, right? You're kind of off the grid, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Mirlan Pjanic has been off the grid since leaving Juve. Uh, most people didn't even realize he's no longer at Barca. He's at Besiktas. But on his IG story, he posted after the Kuman news, no one to let shit go, which... Uh, he had to come out and clarify and say that that, oh, that had nothing to do with Kuman at all. Just coincidence, funny timing. But that was the only post. There was no, nothing else to it. There was some emoji, I think, and it was just on his IG story. And the timing seemed pretty pretty perfect. They didn't see eye to eye. There, there's one player that I think Kuman wasted the potential of. Um, but maybe a player who's, yeah, whose best days are slightly behind him. But Barca yeah. swapped Arthur to get him from Juve, which seemed like a, a big coup. But it was the same time when... Barca were just trying to grab up everybody and make an all-star team. At the same time that they grabbed Griezmann. Like, how do you fit all these players in? Mm-hmm. It's almost like the Ra- Rangers-Glasgow situation. Remember the two of them for 100 years going back and forth, and then all of a sudden Rangers, bad management financially, boom. And the sad thing is the league needs them both. And La Liga is exactly the same thing. I mean, it's a nice story, so we see that and and all that. But La Liga and Real Madrid and Barcelona at the top of that table battling it out is is uh, is always good for La Liga. Yeah, La Liga can't sustain itself without Barcelona and Real Madrid actually being a real competitive rivalry. But as far as the Liga go, itself goes, incredibly entertaining. Like it is technically, yeah. tactically, La Liga is you know. Some would argue the the best, even even now. Um, so from that standpoint, it's uh, it's brilliant. But I think from the standpoint of the, the the classical and how every time that was on, when those guys were neck and neck, and it was must watch TV. It was a big deal. It's a must watch. Yeah, Jonathan David is must watch when he plays for Lil Buddy. Whew. Another goal. Score to the Parc des Princes. Open the scoring for the champions. Although they did uh, end up losing the PSG in the end, but. That's as you would expect. But for Jonathan David, a guy who hasn't had the confident scoring boots that we want to see for Canada, he definitely has them for Lille. Doesn't he ever? Leading eight goals. Doesn't he ever? You, you would actually think him be the other way around. No, no disrespect to CONCACAF teams, but the quality of teams that he's playing with, he's getting chances for Canada, so it's not like he's not being set up. Let it build. Hey, if he, if he wants to light things up in Edmonton against Costa Rica and, and Mexico... Let it build. He's due. And he's coming in with a ton of confidence. By the way, there was a little bit of snow there yesterday in Edmonton. Oh, yeah? Just really Mexican bands out there. <laughs> oh, perfect. It's harder to play in hot, hot temperatures. Humid. You just can't take your clothes off anymore. But with the cold, you just, everybody, you can put gloves on and an extra shirt underneath. And once you get warmed up, I was never... I was never cold playing ever. Warming up, yeah. Coming out of halftime, yeah. But when I was actually when the game was on, never, ever, ever cold. Although I never played in remember when the Toronto Toronto SC had the uh or the final was here. Yeah. And it was minus whoa, whoa it was cold. It was minus twelve, minus sixteen, I think. Yeah. The, the, no one talks about it, but the coldest TFC game on record. Everyone raves about that final being cold, but I, I remember the actual temperature being a single digit it was like minus nine or something but the wind chill felt bad but they played that panamanian side in the concacaf champions league the year after they lost in the final um down in mexico and it was minus 16 degrees it was freezing i'd never i don't think i've ever been outside in temperatures like that for longer than a dog walk no and that that <laughs> game was insane Oh, yeah. And I was like an idiot trying to tweet or like text a couple times and then couldn't use my hands for 30 minutes. <laughs> Champions League this week, which is exciting. Uh, I want to f- wrap up on this before you get it. Give a Champions League take if you got one. But uh, 
Mbappe. He wasn't on the score sheet in that 2-1 win for PSG over Lille, but he scored six goals. He got eight assists in all competitions this season. This sees Latan with some advice for killing Mbappe. He says, I love Mbappe, but he isn't doing enough. He told uh, Telefoot this. He can become very strong if he hurts himself. He needs to taste blood and walk on fire. Surround yourself with people who tell you you're not good enough and you will become the best. <laughs> so there's a lot of times. So he's basically surrounding himself with people who don't have never believed in him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Could you imagine anyone like around him that would say, Hey, uh, Ibra, I think you're full of it. You think I'm full of well, it? Well, full of it. Okay. Yeah. That, that would be a, that would be a fact, <laughs> but to say he's crap. Or, you know what I mean? You can't, you can't win in any league or, you know, well, he's won in every league, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. Who's that guy that's always with Ibra? Oh, Dusan? Oh, he just pays him to tell him he's shit. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Yeah. Ibra, you are shit. Uh, There's something about Zlatan, though, that he's uh, normally guys with that amount of arrogance are annoying, but there's something comical almost that's likable it's likable and he's almost oh, yeah. he's almost doing it to get a a, a a rile out of people one way or the other you know like that, that when he went to la and he took out that spread in the newspaper <laughs> saying you're, I know. you're welcome but for him to go back to milan at he just turned 40 right he turned turned 40 at the start of this month yeah for him to go back to milan and have had the impact that he did and you know, look at them in the Champions League and contending uh, near the top in Serie A again for the first time in uh, in a decade, really. Yeah. When he was there last, winning winning Scudettos, winning Scudetti, it's uh, it's pretty awesome to see, man. I know. You're right that he's an arrogant guy that normally he would hate, but for some reason with him, you kind of like him. Yeah. So from 39 to basically 40 years old, he scored 52 goals in 56 games. And now he's 40. He's playing for Milan and he's got 27 and 41 appearances for them. I mean, those are still fantastic numbers that will any, any striker with those numbers, you're going to be making millions. <laughs> it's nuts. Uh, yeah. Milan contending at the top. Uh, Napoli came in uh, to the weekend or come out of the weekend uh, at the top of the table in Italy, but we'll get more on that maybe midweek and uh, catch up on things. The Champions League returns. Uh, match day four is this right Manchester United get to go to Atalanta mm-hmm. after Atalanta had a 2-0 lead and then Ronaldo came to United's rescue I'm excited to see how they fare on the road at Bergamo and to see how Barcelona fare in Kiev when they have to go to the cold and take on uh, Dynamo I'll take Dynamo Kiev on that one yeah <laughs> right now you think they're that vulnerable yes I don't know having the clarity of Kuman no longer being there I think you'll see Barca play to the level we expect them to. Uh, I'll, I'll take you on that. Want to wager a pint? Sure. A friendly Champions League wager? Yeah. And what's the draw? What, what does that do to our bet? Oh, I get the draw. You you get the draw? You're the home side. <laughs> I get the favoritism. All right. And then Jonathan, David, and Lil, they're at Sevilla. Keep an eye on that, too, on, on Tuesday, at least. Yeah. I say we uh, pull curtains on this. and Awesome. We'll have more content in the week for the Footy Prime faithful. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for uh, listening. And uh, leave us a review and comment thanks for subscribing and follow us on instagram and tiktok at footy prime the podcast or footy underscore prime on twitter please the socials help as do the comments thank you for downloading listening talk to you soon even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.